in the Chinese culture for thousands of years already, uh, since the beginning of the introduction of Prashtaparamita, monks and nuns and laymen, they all memorize this sutra. In the Chinese characters, it's only 268 words, and more or less the same in English. So maybe we all should commit it into memory, because this sutra, according to many commentaries and antidotes and many, many writings of enlightened monks, whenever they have impurities in their mind, whenever they have an overwhelming amount of uh, mental afflictions, whenever they encounter what we call, quote unquote, outside devils or ghosts of spirits, they close their eyes and immediately recite this mantra and the devils, mental afflictions will slowly, gradually disappear. And this has been very effective. In Chinese language, it is. In the English language, it's the same. Because language is not, should not be a barrier. That it doesn't mean that in the Chinese language, it should be committed to the memory. In the English language, it's not. It's the mind. Because when you are memorizing, when you are reciting this, your mind changes in instantly. So we really should commit it to memory. Say, so when you have something that you are Maybe uh, you are overwhelmed with sorrow, you're overwhelmed with sadness, or there's something that you, you don't know how, what to do, you're, you're in a dynamo and you always commit it to memory. It may instantly arouse your wisdom inside to resolve your problem. Commit it to memory. I commit it to memory, the Chinese part. And I'm, I slowly I'm absorbing the English part and I'm also committing to memory. Okay, let's get back to it now. Prashtaparamita Hiradaya Sutra, we already explained the title. And now, we start with the first sentence. Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva. That's the name of a Bodhisattva. Now, first of all, what is the meaning of Avalokitesvara? Avalokitesvara is a specific name. Bodhisattva is a common name. For example, specific names relate to your John, your Jeanette, your Jack, your, you've got specific names. But you also have a common name, men, women, or students, teachers. So Avalokitesvara is specific. How specific? What's the meaning of Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva? Let's get to it. Avalokitesvara has two meanings. The first one is the Lord who looks down. Avalokitesvara, a Sanskrit word. Isvara means the Lord who is free from all bondage, all human bondage, all mental afflictions bondage. So the Lord simply means the higher level of enlightenment. The Lord who is free from all bondage, from all mental afflictions. That's the first meaning. In the Chinese language, we call it guan zi zai, no more impurities. So usually when Avalokitesvara is drawn in picture, it's an image, draws the Avalokitesvara, not cross-legged, with one leg hanging down and another leg at the top, all kinds of gestures because it's free. The second meaning, he who hears the sounds of the world. Svara means the sound. So this 
Bodhisattva, this enlightened being, always listens to the sound of the world, listening for those who are in need. His compassion renders to all. He's trying to listen all the time to the sound of the world. So when you are in difficulties, when you request help from Bodhisattva, Avalokiteshvara, if you recite his name, he will be coming to you to rescue you all the time, no exception. It depends on how sincere you are, uh, how urgent the situation is, but you have to sound it out. So you have to practice sounding it out, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. So when you recite mantra, you have to recite with sound. Better to recite with sound. He who hears the sounds of the world, Svara means sound. And this is the names, but how about the meaning? Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva embodies one of the two fundamental aspects of Buddhahood. The first one is Maha Karutna, means great compassion. And the second one is Prajna. So, Remember, we just chanted the Maha Karunika Chitta Dharani. Remember, Nama Rama Ratna Tarayaya, Namariya, Varukitis Vraya, Bodhisattvaya, Maha Sadvaya, Maha Karunikaya. That is the great compassion mantra of Avalokitis Bodhisattva. Many people here committed that to memory already. That is a very effective mantra which should be committed to memory. In the Chinese temple, all laymans commit all this compassion mantra to memory. So, Avalokitesvara embodies two aspects, Maha Karutna, which means great compassion, or somebody call it a great mercifulness, uh, kindness, a great compassion, or some people call it the great love. Of course, there's a difference between love and compassion, if we look at it from the perspective of how broad the meaning is, if love is one-sided, it's not compassion. Because usually you love a person and that, that person doesn't love you, that creates hatred. Because if your husband loves you and you don't love your husband, your husband will be mad, right? So that's one-sided. So compassion is to love with no conditions. Avalokitesvara uh, love to render compassion without differentiating whether, oh, you are my relative, you are my friends, um, that's the reason why I love you more than the other. So, compassion or Maha Karuna means unconditional love. Prajna is, means wisdom. So, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva, that means the Bodhisattva listen to the sound of the world who is in urgent need of help and renders compassion. It also means the Bodhisattva who is already free from all bondage. So that's the specific name. But how about a common name, Bodhisattva? We are all novice Bodhisattva, you and I. When we say novice, that means we dedicate ourselves. We vow that we, we would like to learn from the Buddha, to learn to be compassionate, to learn to render our help to all needy people. We vow to walk the path of, the, of, the, of spiritual odyssey, spiritual enlightenment. When we make that vow, we are a, a novice, a beginning, a beginner in, in the path of Bodhisattva. So you are a Bodhisattva if you already make that vow of, of practicing 
great compassion, practicing uh, wisdom, you are already a Bodhisattva. But the Bodhisattva has so many levels. You and I, we are beginning, we are beginners in the Bodhisattva. So usually in temple, we address someone, if we don't know him or her, we say, Bodhisattva, can you help me to, to take these things to, to the Buddha, to the other table? Or Bodhisattva, can you help me this? Or can you do something? They refer to each other as the Bodhisattva. That is a very respectful name for people who practice uh, Buddhahood. So, Bodhisattva. So, what is the meaning of Bodhisattva? Translated into Chinese is Pusa, which is a sound translation. Pusa, Bodhisattva. And Bodhisattva means enlightened being. You and I, we are in the process, in pursuit of enlightenment. When we have achieved enlightenment, we are the Buddha. Complete enlightenment, we are called a Buddha. So, Buddhi, that means understanding and awakening. So sattva is being, the being who is always in search of enlightenment, in search of the highest wisdom of understanding and wisdom. That is, enlightened being. A being who seeks Buddhahood through the systematic practice of the perfect virtues, the paramita, but renounces complete entry into nirvana until all beings are saved. So if you are practicing Bodhisattva, you won't think that, oh, I want to be the Buddha. When I become the Buddha, I'm free from all bondage. I'm free and I don't have any more suffering. That is not enough for Bodhisattva. The Bodhisattva always think about, I want to achieve enlightenment and Buddhahood. But if my understanding reaches higher and higher and higher and get, almost get into Nirvana, I won't get into Nirvana. I will always come back to the world to save. If home, the homeland is the most beautiful land, heaven, or somebody called it heaven, the homeland, the most beautiful land, I won't return to my beautiful homeland until no one is suffering. Until hell is all empty, I wouldn't leave this world. That is the vow of Siddhikapa Bodhisattva. Siddhikapa Bodhisattva make the vow that I won't enter into nirvana until there is no one single victim in hell. He will wait and wait and wait until all beings are enlightened, until hell is all empty, no more hell. He will wait to save until there's no more hell. There's no more hell below us. Remember that song? There's, imagine, imagine there's no hell, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no religion. What's the point of religion when you don't need it? No religion, no heaven, no hell, no Buddha. You understand what I mean? You don't need Buddha. You don't achieve nirvana for yourself. Siddhikampa Bodhisattva said, I won't go into nirvana. He is in the neighborhood of nirvana. In other words, he can just use supernatural power to burn up his whole body and then he, he can just leave and get into that nirvana state what is extreme eternity. He does not want to go home until everybody is safe. Going home will be so comfortable, he doesn't want to. He wants to still roam around to make sure everybody is safe. How long would that take? Countless years, number of years. 
but he won't give up. He will just continue and continue. So Siddhartha Bodhisattva is sometimes in hell, saving hell victims, sometimes in the animal realm, saving animals, sometimes in the human realm, saving humans. So the determining factor for a Bodhisattva's action is compassion or karuna, supported by the highest insight and wisdom, prajna. So compassion has to be supported by prajna. If you only have compassion but you don't have prajna, you may not exercise the right compassion. So everything must be supported by the wisdom inside of you. You're so kind, you, your kindness is very, very high level. But if, if you have no wisdom, you could have exercised, you have, could have rendered the wrong kindness. You're walking, you're walking um, um, in front of a liquor store, and there's a man coming up to you. Oh, can you, can you spare me a dollar? That's poor man, and I don't have any food. But he's standing right at the liquor store, in front of the liquor store. And you say, okay, here is five dollars, get yourself some food. Um, you walk away and you walk in the liquor store to get his liquor. So you're actually helping him to perpetuate his bad habit of drinking. So you're going to exercise the right judgment. You're going to have prajna in your compassion. So everything is led by prajna, wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, you could mislead yourself into doing the wrong kind of compassion. You could spoil your kids because of the wrong compassion to your kids. You love your kids so much that you want to, to give him or her everything, uh, but you don't know how to exercise your right judgment, your, your right wisdom. So everything must be led by prajna. So that's the meaning of the bodhisattvas. So Bodhisattva, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva, when practicing the profound, very profound, Prajna Paramitta. What is Prajna Paramitta? Prajna, remember? Pra means supreme and unique. Jna means consciousness and understanding. Paramitta is perfection. Parama means the other shore. Itta, that means that which has arrived. That means if you have achieved at this supreme and unique understanding, this consciousness, this understanding, close to perfection, you are going from this shore of suffering to that shore of enlightenment, to that paramita enlightenment. This prajna, this wisdom can lead you from this shore to the other shore. This shore is a shore of life and death. That shore is a shore of nirvana enlightenment. Leads you to Prajnaparamitta. Indirectly, we can say, believing in the Buddha's practice, in practice according to the Buddha, is not just blind faith. You've got to learn. Following the Buddha's practice, you acquire, you learn this wisdom. Not just say, I believe in the Buddha and I'm safe. The Buddha will save me. The Buddha cannot save you. The Buddha can only tell you, you practice all these and you will get to the shore, to that shore. If Buddha, by his power, can save you, he would have saved you already. What's the point of telling you all this? He can just take your hands and throw you to heaven. You don't need to learn. But you can't do that. You have to get onto the ship, get onto it, drive that ship, and get to Nirvana. 
and get to the, get to the other shore. You've got to do it yourself. There's no free lunch, the saying goes, which is a cliche, but it really, it's very philosophical. Nobody can save you. You yourself. Nobody. Just you yourself. You save yourself. You've got to walk that path. You've got to go from that ocean of life and death, flow on it, drive your boat, and get to Nirvana. So, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva, when practicing the Prajna Paramita, another question comes up. Yeah, I've got to take that boat, but what is that boat? What, what do I have to learn? What do I have to learn in order to go from this shore of confusion, of suffering, of ignorance, of greediness, of jealousy, of hatred? How do I get from this shore of mental afflictions to that shore? How do I do it? There are six broad subjects that you have to learn. The Buddha classified this subject broadly first and then go into each specific subject very, very in, in great detail. But what is subjects? What is six subjects? In other words, when you get into that ship, you've got to register with it and take six courses. We call it the six parameters. This is just broad categories. That is just the name of the course. Dana, parameter, giving. Generosity in both material and spiritual sense. You have to learn to be generous, always give. So it's a pity when you always say, how much do I have? How does it benefit me? You always, I, me, ego. How does it help me? First of all, have to learn how to forget about your ego. You have to go egoness. You just consider the, the whole mass of people. You have to give, learn how to give. How many people really like to give? <laughs> well, it seems to be so easy to learn how to give, but how many people would like to give? The lunch that we're eating every day are given by donors. So we're very thankful because the whole temple depends on donations and every day they come to give. You see how uh, Tom and Natalie, they were sitting at the entrance. They're sitting right there at the gracious hall on the desk. And people just come in to donate. There are people who really like to, to give. Not just giving to the temples, to give to all charities. And we depend on this giving. Um, and there are people who come to give. But there are people who just come to receive. How does it benefit me? Oh, there's a temple on Stephen Highway. Is it beautiful? Is it, does it attract people over there? They have a free lunch too. So let's go and get the free lunch. They always want to think about what is free for them, what is better for them. They never think about giving out. You see the difference? You always learn to give, to give, to give. I always quote that Kennedy's quotation. Don't expect what a country can do for you what you can do for the country. Or don't expect your mom and dad always want to give you everything you want. How do you give to the family? Are you helping your mom in, in, in your mom's housekeeping? You know what is the next step of giving? You know what? Giving, right here, we just give you a, a general term. 
when you know how to give, what's the implications from it? The first implication I can think of is a person who learns, always learns how to give is a very responsible person. He's always thinking about his responsibility. Uh, a responsible father in a family always wants to, how much education I would give to my kid? How should I love my wife? How should I love my kids? Um, a responsible employee would say, how do I do a better job for the company? How do I make everybody happy in the company? How do I build up that company? Well, irresponsible employee to say, they only give me 12 bucks an hour. Right now I'm, I'm working all this and I think I'm worth 25. And he could give me 12 bucks, so why should I work hard? He always stay at the idea of 12 bucks an hour and not at the idea of $25 an hour. And the positive thinkers of, in North America say they usually say, to usually advise idle, lazy workers and say, if you think that way, you will never get a $25 return. You are worth $12 an hour, but you're giving, you're giving out as if you are $25 an hour, eventually you will reach up to 25. Because the boss will look at you and say, Oh, this guy, I'm giving you $12 an hour, but look, the way he works, he's worth $25. If I don't give him $25, we will leave, right? That's what the boss thinks. I'm going to give him $25. Maybe I should give him $26 just to make sure that he will stay in my company. So you are the victim of your own laziness. You are the victim of your own non-giving. So always give. Giving gives you the first implication I can think of. A person who likes to give is learning his sense of responsibility. He wants to give. Give out his service. Give out your love. Giving has many implications too. Giving in material, in materiality, and giving in spirituality. Everybody can learn how to give. Oh, look, I'm not a rich guy. I, I, how can I? Oh, there's some people who walk in the temple and they, oh, I, I see that guy. He walk in the temple and say, and he donated $2,000, $3,000. He must be loaded. This is a filthy rich person. Of course, he, 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 he can give a lot of money out. I'm not, I'm poor. But don't you know that giving is not just in material, in kinds? Give your advice, give your love, give your consideration even give your smile good morning give your smile give your courtesy give your sense of cooperation give your sense of coordination give your sense of caringness giving is not always in money as a matter of fact the most effective giving is not in money well we can talk about giving and for hours. But right now I'm just introducing you a course and that course is called Generosity and Giving. You've got to learn that course. How much time you need to learn that course? At least a few years, I guess. It's not that easy. Oh, I learned how to give. Oh, what, how to give? What's, what's the point of giving? You've got to learn all that. I'm giving you just a course outline of this ship 
If you register with that ship to go to that Nirvana, shore of Nirvana, you got to register with all these six courses. And the syllabus in, the, in, in each course is so abundant. I haven't gotten into that yet. Let me introduce you to all the six courses before we leave, okay? Scylla. Scylla parameters is ethics, discipline. You have to learn the ethics, the discipline. How to discipline yourself. Discipline is not to discipline others. Discipline is to discipline yourself. You don't say, hey, Jack, how come you're doing that? In the temple, you should do this. Discipline is not to discipline others. It's to discipline yourself. So how do we learn this Scylla? Oh, there's a lot in Scylla. Take that course, otherwise you can't graduate. This ethic course. Zanti, Paramita. Patience and tolerance. Take that course, Zanti. Patience and tolerance. There's another course that you should take. Virya. Mental strength. You have to learn how to build up your strength, how to work hard, how to be diligent, how to conjure up your energy to strive towards doing it. You know, I think in most universities, they're lacking this course. Have you ever encountered a course that is how to teach you to be more vigorous and work hard in your degree? Not many. I, don't, I haven't seen in many university syllabuses that they tell you, they teach you how to work harder, how to build up the energy to achieve all these other courses. Maybe each university should have a course like that, a Viraya course, to build up your strength in aiming at your degree. Build up your strength to achieve it. Don't drop out in your first year, second year, third year, fourth year. How to achieve your aim, how to motivate yourself. There's motivational courses. There's Viraya. The fifth is Dhyana Paramita, meditation. How to meditate? There are five courses which you must take, otherwise you can't graduate. And there's the last course, number six, which is the most important. That's a prerequisite for each of the five courses above. That's a prerequisite. If you don't have that, there's no way that you, 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 you could complete all these courses. What is that? You should tell me. What is that? Last course? Huh? Oh, yeah. You graduated. <laughs> There's prajna, perfection of wisdom. You've got to have wisdom to guide every one of these five courses. If you don't have the perfection of wisdom to guide your, your giving, you gave out to the wrong guide. If you don't have wisdom, in your precepts, in your discipline, you discipline yourself in the wrong way. If you don't have wisdom in zanti, your tolerance is not exercised in the right direction. For that reason, your viraya, your mental strength, your dhyana, your meditation, if you don't have wisdom in your meditation, your meditation has gone astray, gone in the wrong way. There are many meditators who have gone in the wrong way. Watch out, not all instructors of meditation 
walk the proper way. So you've got to have wisdom to judge whether your master in meditation is right. All right, so I introduce you to those six courses. And um, first of all, you've got to be interested in getting in register in that ship of crossing the ocean. And, uh, and then we register with the six courses. As far as the syllabus of, of each course, we still have to get into more and more and more to it. And hopefully we all can graduate and get into that shore. <laughs>